Today, we are all about the women who kick ass in comic books. Yes, these are the ladies who are the pioneers, the trailblazers, who are getting, getting work, getting the job done when it was a lot harder to get those jobs, to get those assignments. These are amazing, amazing talented women who have done Star Wars, who have done Super Friends, who have done Aquaman, who have done Power Pack, ElfQuest. You're going to learn all about these amazing talents. Maybe you've never heard of them before. Maybe this is a chance to celebrate uh, names that you are familiar with. Either way, we're going we're gonna to put the focus where it belongs on the women who kick ass in comic books on an all-new episode of Observations. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Observations. I am your host, Rob Liefeld. Way before I started doing this podcast, I drew comics, I wrote comics, I published comics, I even printed comics. Yes, I've worn all the hats and, and, and in, in all honesty, I still do. I'm still writing and drawing and producing comic books. And that's where so much of this podcast gets its perspective. Uh, the, the, the fan in me started consuming comic books when I was seven years old, pulling them off the spinner racks at liquor stores, 7-Elevens, uh, you know, food markets, anywhere I could find comics, I was consumed by them. And I saved my uh, lunch money. I, 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 yes, I would, I, would buy, I, I would buy one less chocolate milk or one less donut and, and, and turn that into a comic book. Because back then when I started, comic books were 20 cents because Yes, I'm probably a lot older than you if, 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 if you are in your 30s or 40s and, and things were just different. I rode my bike around uh, when, I, when, I find, when I found that there was another place, maybe a little further from my house that had comic books. Uh, I, we, we lived you know, a couple of miles from Knott's Berry Farm, which is a theme park out here in Orange County. And I would ride my beach cruiser, my, my 10 speed, whatever I had at the time, as far out as I could to whatever um, liquor store or, or, or 7-Eleven that I happened upon, maybe maybe at a stop with my parent on the way home from a function. And, and, and if, if they were going to 7-Eleven, I would follow them in. And then if they had comics, I immediately identified to myself, I have to come back here. I have the power to pedal. <laughs> I have the power to pedal this bike um, all the way back to this location to buy comic books. So yeah, my, my obsession with comic books has been severe. It has been extreme. And, uh, and, and, and it, 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 catapulted me on the course to become a, a, a comic book writer, artist, creator, producer, publisher. We often talk uh, so much of how comic books has exploded into pop culture. And, you know, we're, we're about to embark on a summer season that has even more of the, 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 the big comic book uh, characters, you know, coming your way. You've got the Flash. Uh, you, you, you've got Guardians of the Galaxy. You've got Spider-Man, uh, more Spider-Verse, just, 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 you know, off the off the top of my head, and and, and fans are going to encounter characters like Spider Man twenty ninety nine for the first time, and they're going to see a new take on Supergirl in Flash, and you're going to meet even more characters like the High Evolutionary in Guardians, and these are characters that I've encountered in comics years and years and years past. So it's exciting to watch it grow and expand and connect with a larger audience. But as with all things, I love to get back to the basics, and I love to go uh, into the weeds and tell you the audience and, sh and share with the listeners as much of my comic book collecting past uh, as I possibly can. Occasionally we share interviews uh, from magazines that are long out of, out of print newspaper articles. I, I hung on to clippings. Um, my, my hoarding of comic book material has become 
uh, a, a feast for this for this podcast. And today we are going to cover a, a, a topic that is uh, we are we are woefully overdue to to cover, and that is the topic of all of the kick-ass women who have produced comics and made comics themselves. You know, uh, Marvel in 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 the seventies put put out a compilation of all their female you know characters introducing you to all their female uh characters and and it, and it, and it uh it it showed Sue Storm you know marching towards you alongside the the inhumans Medusa and Black Widow and Captain Marvel and uh who who was the Captain Marvel that that Brie Larson plays she was called actually Ms Marvel back at the time Red Sonja all of these and it was like the 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 ladies of Marvel comics well Today, we're going to do that with real-life creators, so many of whom have affected my comic book enjoyment, my comic book uh, just inspirations, and we don't mention them enough on this, on this, on this show, and it really struck me that we, we could devote hours upon hours, and this is a volume one. We're going to call this a volume one, and, and you're likely not going to hear many of the different uh, women, ladies, wh- whose work that you are currently uh, enjoying because I'm probably not going to get to many of the, the the most recent names of the last 15 years or two decades because uh, these are the women that broke down the doors that established that women can in fact do kick-ass comics in a, in a very uh, boys club centric you know uh, uh, publishing existence from the 50s 60s and 70s these are the women that kicked down the door and 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 uh, basically laid the track. Uh, for all the other trains to run on. And so you probably don't get to Gail Simone and Amanda Connor without the names that I'm going to share with you today. But I have rich memories of so many of the amazing, uh, so much of the work that these amazing and talented uh, women produced, and we're going to share them today. And uh, and, and I, I, I'm, I'm very excited to hopefully expose you to maybe some titles and some names that you haven't heard before, but who have been extremely influential in the comic book industry. The, the the specific Marvel book that I was uh, mentioning just a minute ago was just literally called Marvel's The Superhero Women. But again, they wanted to isolate like here are our female superheroes, and honestly, these creators are are the female superheroes of the comic book industry. Now we cannot uh, do do a uh, we can't do a podcast about female creators without starting with really the pioneer and 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 her name is Marie Severin. And Marie Severin is best known as a comic book cartoonist that broke broke into the scene in the 50s. Uh and and she did a lot of horror comics and eventually uh while while working her way through the Marvel bullpen she uh she did a lot of humor books, stuff that made me laugh, stuff that tickled me. In some of Marvel's humor comics, one is called, and I, I kid you not, it's called Not Brand Eck. But, uh, you know, Marvel, she is mostly uh, uh, aligned with Marvel comics and so many modern day comic books fans or, or, or some of those bronze or silver age or golden age dealers that you see on the conventions um, floor. You know, she was the first cartoonist for an entire generation. Um, she was a pioneer. And uh, again, her her iconic and 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 you know incredible contributions were were across so many different genres. 
but she absolutely uh, had a hand in, in, in creating characters like Spider-Woman and the Cat and the Living Tribunal for, uh, for Marvel Comics. She uh, passed away in 2018. She was 89 years old. She was from uh, New York and, uh, again, coming up through EC Comics, which is a horror comics uh, label. She then landed her regular gig at Marvel in 1964, and she, incredible talent, incredible, uh, very distinct talent, and one of the things that she became in, in, in terms of, a, of, of an office personnel uh, role in, in the comics industry for Marvel Comics was she was their head colorist uh, through, through the very early 70s, but she, uh, extremely, extremely talented extremely talented uh, illustrator who really broke broke ground for i think a, a majority of of the women who who were coming into comics so marie severin she was the sister of another if you can believe this incredible talent called john severin who was another illustrator inker embellisher uh penciler just the two of them incredibly talented and it's interestingly enough if you ever look at the work of marie severin and her brother john severin you will see uh that they have a stylistic kind of similarity to their work um they don't draw exactly alike but they they have certain uh stylistic bends to them that i think is is really interesting but um by the time that i got into comics marie severin was a behind the scenes marvel bullpen marvel um you know, basically uh, Marvel management in, in, in an artistic management position. And, uh, but she was a, uh, she, she was a long time uh, celebrated figure at Marvel Comics. So Marie Severin kicked down the door. The, the, the humorous illustrations that she did uh, of Hulk and the entire Marvel universe for, for Marvel's line of humor magazines or comic strips, because sometimes you get a comic book and in the back, was the uh, was a short story uh, that may have come from a previous you know Marvel collection that that came out in the '60s that I missed, but in the 1970s I was reading it as a short story in the back of one of my you know copies of the Avengers Fantastic Four Silver Surfer, and it was illustrated uh, by Marie Severin, and she again extremely talented and really the pioneer that kicked down all the doors. So we we would be absolutely remiss if we did not honor and uh, and and. And and shine a light on Marie Severin again, sister of the of 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 John Severin. The two of them have left quite an impression, especially in Silver Age and Bronze Age comic book lore. Uh, one of the first female cr- uh, creators that I remember interacting with uh, on a regular basis. I mentioned a few podcasts back on Power Man and Iron Fist. That her 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 title in the comics was Joe Duffy. Her full name was Mary Joe Duffy, and Joe Duffy was was uh, I got to tell you those Power Man Iron Fist books. We talk about the the macho uh, all the time on this show, and how uh, it, it's kind of code word for for uh, just really very action oriented comic books. And you know, a, a friend of mine said that he was speaking with uh, GI Joe creator. Uh, Larry Hama, the, the real American hero, 1980s GI Joe creator, uh, the line, line of, of of titles was was created by Larry Hama, and Larry Hama was was talking at the recent uh, Amazing Vegas Con to a friend of mine and talking about how he missed uh, 
macho comics and he wants more comics with movement. So again, we look shows like Yellowstone, 1883, 1923 have really, if you read the, the press, the, you know, the, the, the Vanity Fair articles, all the different, uh, stuff that's been written and shared. They call those the macho shows, you know, bare chested men, guns blazing, kind of a return to an older time. Uh, and, and, and so, so macho comics, macho shows, they kind of share a timeline. If you are a longtime listener of the show, you know that we, uh, I, I took from the man who played Oscar Goldman, uh, on, on, on $6 million man, that there's a clip that I've played here where he, he talks about how $6 million man, what, what, what was a, ma- a macho show? We were, we were a macho show. So, I mean, there you've got it on tape, a guy calling his own seminal uh, five-year run on Six Million Dollar Man, plus the Bionicle when he said, we, 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 were, we were a macho show, a macho show. All right, so, so, so the reason I'm talking about this macho stuff is there was no more macho book than Power Man and Iron Fist. Both dudes walked around with their bare chest. Their, their, their shirts didn't quite tuck all the way in, and, and Luke Cage had, had a chain for a belt, okay? Um, if you're not familiar with 1970s, 1980s Luke Cage Power Man, he had a chain for a belt. And, and of course, Iron Fist wanted nothing more for you to see his full abs and pecs as his Iron Fist costume also separated. And, and really, uh, by the time it tucked at the waist, you had a full exposure to his chest, his chest and his abs. Um, and, and, and the writer of, of the very best issues of Power Man and Iron Fist for a several year stretch, working with incredible artists uh, like Kerry Gamble uh, and Bob Layton, uh, was, was Mary Jo Duffy. And that is the first time I was like, wow, there's a writer who, who I think is as good as Chris Claremont. Cause to me, Chris Claremont was the best writer, you know, in the history of comics, having penned so many of my favorite X-Men stories in addition to, uh, Ms. Marvel, which I, I mentioned, uh, earlier and Spider-Woman and Chris, ironically, Murata, the she-wolf, if you've ever heard of that one, Murata, the she-wolf. Chris Claremont. Chris Claremont loved to write the female characters. And so ironically at Marvel, they hired a female writer to write their literally most macho, most kick-ass book. It also featured two uh, private detectives. Uh, they were called the Daughters of the Dragon, Misty Knight and Colleen Wing's Wing. So uh, Mary Jo would always also write their adventures and interspread them. But I'm telling you, those comics are fantastic. And I'll tell you how much I loved uh, the work of Joe Duffy is I hired her to write my flagship title it became our best-selling title at extreme studios uh in the in the mid 90s was glory and if i if i remember correctly the 1990s run of that glory's comic book mary joe duffy wrote each and every uh every single single issue we loved uh, interacting with mary joe duffy she was uh just the best personality hilarious um there was a couple different conventions that i as the you know uh, head of Extreme Studios uh, wanted to ob- obviously always meet with my talent that was that was that was doing these great books and and I would have uh, different breakfasts uh, at, at at WonderCon or at Comic Con with with Joe Duffy and and just she would regale me with the great stories of of her time uh, at Marvel and then we would talk about all the other different ideas and uh, comic books that that she and, and adventures that she could bring to the pages of Glory but Glory was uh, obviously our, our extreme Amazon, a very obvious echo of Wonder Woman. And, and it is to Joe Duffy's credit that she made her so much more. She was paired early on with the Mike Diodato studio. At the time, we were told it was Mike Diodato and then later realized it was not all Mike Diodato, but many of his Mike Diodato minions. But um, 
you know, uh, w- w- with with the finishes of the colors and the painted art that we put on top of the work, I, I think we did a great job of of presenting the best version of that work possible. Especially um, th- th- those books, I've, I revisited them li- recently, and they're they're just again action packed, full of humor, great humor, characterization, little um, little tweaks. Uh, she was writing because uh, Gloriana Detamer is her uh, is 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 Glory's full name and. Uh, uh, she was a CEO running her own cosmetics empire. And of course, you know, it was just important for me to get a female perspective on the entire thing. So that's why I extended and had Joe Duffy write glory of which she did spectacularly. But I'm going to circle back to Joe Duffy and her Star Wars work, because in addition to Power Man Iron Fist, she wrote some amazing Star Wars stories under the Marvel um, publishing imprint when Star Wars was first, you know, launched as a comic book uh, uh, you know, adventure series in, in its very first incarnation at Marvel Comics before it would then later go to Dark Horse and then slingshot back to Marvel in the last decade. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to revisit Joe Duffy and her Star Wars tales because it ties into a personal tale that I want to share uh, in, in regards to these women who kick ass. So Joe Duffy uh, is, is, is really the writer that I'm going to give the most uh, time to today because as you guys know, I really believe, and, and I literally told my writer friend the other day, my interest in comic books has always been uh, very specifically, very openly the artwork, because that's why I buy comic books. I buy comic books, comic books for the pictures. And maybe you do too, or maybe you're one of those people, and I can't imagine you even listening to the show and enjoying this, if you really buy comics just for the writing and there, and, and, if, and if you strip the pictures away, you would still love them, because then, then that's not a comic book, that's a novel. And a comic book really puts an emphasis on, on, on knowing how to utilize visuals. And, and again, Mary Jo Duffy is one of those writers who I think knew how to get the best out of every single artist that she worked with along the way. But we're going to slingshot back to Star Wars as we, uh, as we continue uh, and, and maybe towards the end of the, sh- of the show because I, I, I have a, uh, a more personal story to share. But the rest of these ladies are going to be uh, some really in the phenomenal artist category and how I encountered them and the work that inspired me uh, and, and it, th- throughout basically the late 70s and the early 80s. Another of these amazing uh, talents that I'm sharing with you today is a just, this this woman is a dynamo. Her name is Ramona Fredone. And yes, it, 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 it sounds as look as, it, as, as cool as it looks, and it, and it looks as cool as it sounds. Ramona Fredone. She is 96 years old as of this, this, uh, this podcast. And it was only a few years ago that I uh, literally was walking by a table in in a in a show, I, I believe it was in Florida, and I and I saw Ramona Fredone, and I saw this very um, just lovely uh, woman drawing, sketching, and and doing really good drawings of Aquaman and Superman and and and, and the Super Friends, and uh, it was Ramona Fredone, and I'm like, that's Ramona Fredone, and yes, I had lived. All the way up until like, uh, this is around 2014, 2015. And I could not believe, I'm like, I'm finally putting the face uh, to this this talent who drew a monthly book that I never missed. I, I did an entire uh, podcast, I believe on international superheroes and, and so many of them that came out of a comic book called The Super Friends. And The Super Friends was the comic book companion to the very popular, very long running Saturday morning cartoon based on the DC, you know, 
uh, uh, superheroes, mainly based on the Justice League, but they didn't call it the Justice League. On Saturday mornings, it was the Super Friends. And Ramona Fredone would go on to draw nearly every issue of the Super Friends comic book as, as it was published from the 70s throughout uh, to, up, up until the early, early, the, the, basically right up until 1980, the end of the 70s. And uh, Ramona Fredone is, 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 is 96 years old. She was born in 1926. She became most uh, famous for uh, creating uh, Metamorpho, who is a dynamic DC Comics hero, and also her seminal work on Aquaman. But kids of my generation never missed out on her work because we picked up Super Friends, which was a top seller for DC Comics. They did the Super Friends Omnibus uh, about a year back, and it was the fastest purchase I have made of any Omnibus. With the minute I saw it, boom, hit pre-order on Amazon. The day it came out, it was delivered to my doorstep, and I poured over it, and I continue to pour over it. Ramona Fredone, her art is very, uh, it, it, it looks like it, she's the perfect person to have done the Super Friends uh, comic book because her art looks very animated, very uh, uh, just energetic figures and, and uh, expressive faces uh, that don't have too much weight. They look like they, they could just bounce uh bounce all over the panels all over the page uh again great energy in the gestures in in, in the posturing of the characters they're all very um attractive very handsome very very uh very very well just illustrated she's a master storyteller always picking the 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 best angles um really interesting character designs on different robots and villains throughout the super friends series which was not a faithful adaptation by any means of the cartoon it just took the idea of this cast of Super Friends characters. And again, the, my, my favorite, my absolute favorite uh, uh, series or, or section, I did, again, a dedicated podcast about international heroes where the Super Friends had to travel the globe and meet up with all these different other international characters. And she, in fact, did the designs for uh, the Israeli uh, uh, superhero named the Seraph and, and, and of... Uh, of of uh, the English character called Godiva and the South African character named Impala, and it goes on and on because this goes on for issue after issue. But Ramona Fredone actually wrote the uh, intro introduction for the Super Friends Omnibus. I'm going to read it for you. It says, "I hadn't seen any Super Friends stories for years when I was asked to write an introduction to this volume, so I searched out of my I searched some of my old comics to refresh my memory. Not only were the stories more ingenious than I remembered." but they were lighthearted and informative. As for the artwork, it's always a revelation to see your drawing years after you forgot what it looked like. I remember before I started to work with Nelson E. Breadwell on the series, I met with Murray Boltonoff, the editor who was putting it all together. He asked me to do the drawing and together we decided how the feature should look. We agreed to keep it simple, reflecting the look of the animated show that it was based on. Bob Smith, whose first job in comics happened to be inking a story that I drew, came on board kept the lines simple, crisp, and, and, and made them distinctive. I have worked with a number of editors over the years, and with the exception of Murray and Joe Orlando, have come to suspect that all of them were more interested in the stories than the art. None was more so than Nelson. As I recall, he rarely smiled or engaged in small talk and was totally absorbed in his plots with the costumes worn by the characters he had created. A measure of that absorption, the, uh, the, the comments he featured on his page were about the details of his stories with never a mention of the drawing. I assumed that he accepted my work though, since he never criticized it as such, 
but only commented if he found a tiny button or fringe on a character's costume that was misplaced or overlooked. Then we would have then we would have an intense discussion about how to fix the offending detail. When I was working on those intricate matters, I failed to appreciate Nelson's unique creativity or how, in fact, his obsession with detail led to the whimsical twists and turns of his plots. Now, as I revisit those stories, I am struck by the wealth of information he possessed and how he used it to create his stories and shape their predicaments, mythology, psychology, history, science, literature, art, and folklore, and always in a whimsical way. What better example than the people who stole the sky, where Nelson Nelson borrowed playfully from art and science to weave an evocative plot. I recall my mind boggling when I tried to envision and draw the Escher-like world without left or right or up or down, just as the script had called for. I remembered having fun with the airy spaghetti-like creatures who lived in that world and never had to deal with a drag of gravity. They reminded me, and maybe Nelson, Nelson as well, of the airy creatures who lived on Earth's surface in H.G. Wells, the time machines, and never had to deal with the drag of having to work. For me, the best thing about the Super Friends is the assortment of villains we created who are totally over the top. Turn the page and she comments on <clears throat> my favorite being the dreaded world beater, an antenna headed madman's concoction of every supervillain that ever was who possessed all the various their various superpowers. What more could a comic fan want? In fact, I have been asked to recreate the cover he appears in more than one time. Super Friends was launched in the late 1970s for young readers. Those readers are now in their 50s and 60s, and I have met a lot of them at the different comic book conventions I attend. I enjoy seeing the little smile of pleasure that comes on their faces as they look at some of the drawings that bring back old memories. A lot of them bring their kids or grandkids and eagerly show them the pictures and reminisce. Sometimes it's hard to tell which one is the kid. When I was work- Back when I was working for hire, before the superhero movies came out and after Frederick Wortham's critical book cast a shadow over the comic industry, working in comics seemed a bit disreputable. Several older cartoonists have said that they never told people what they did for a living, and I understand how they felt. Then I left comics for 15 years to illustrate the newspaper strip Brenda Starr. When I retired from drawing Brenda Starr in 1995, I went to my first comic book convention and was surprised to be greeted by so many people who had enjoyed my work and who even thanked me for the pleasure I had, that I had given them. I learned that some had even chosen careers based on the comic books that they had read. An Aquaman reader became a marine biologist, and another fan who was inspired by Metamorpho became a chemical engineer. And that in addition to the number of fans who told me that looking at the stories of their favorite superheroes was how they learned to read. The world of comics has clearly changed while I've been away. Superhero movies have worked their magic. Comics uh, have gone international and are not dismissed anymore. Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman are known and loved around the world. And we who had been toiling in obscurity were now out in the open. Some were even stars. While I was hardly a star myself, I had a visitor who rummaged through my wastebasket recently looking for drawings they believed I had discarded. It is my belief that there will never be heroes like those Golden Age characters again. They were the ones that developed in darkness in minds unrestrained by societal norms who burst forth among us with the power of simplicity in the manner that myths are born. I am proud to have had the chance to work with all these enduring heroes, as well as with Aquaman, Robin, the Wonder Twins, and even Nelson's villains, and the wonderful world of Super Friends comic books. Ramona Fredone, August 2019, she wrote that. Again, these comic books bring back the best memories. Reading that, uh, reading that intro really uh, gives me a kick because again, her work is very, again, her figure work is very powerful. Her storytelling is very bold. Your eye never strays. Uh, Ramona Fredone is a consummate 
cartoonist and an amazing uh, illustrator uh, who literally was in my hands. Her work was in my hands once every month because I never missed an issue of Super Friends. And as I got older, I was more uh, influenced by her Aquaman work, uh, going back and getting those back issues. But Ramona Fredone is just another giant pioneer along the likes of Murray Severin, who really serviced kids like myself. Because again, the Super Friends comic book was a tremendous companion, more exciting to me than the cartoon, which seemed restrained by all of the kind of rules and regulations that surround Saturday morning cartoons. And Super Friends was way more action-oriented than the comic book um, and, and, ha- and had really iconic depictions of Superman, Wonder Woman, and Aquaman specifically. They were my favorite uh, of, of all of the different illustrations that she drew. But at 96, to still be on the circuit, to still be drawing for people, it is nothing short of phenomenal. So here's to you, Ramona Fredone, and thank you for all that you do. And, and just, just reminding everybody, this is by no means a countdown. Uh, there, there are going to be a couple of names that, that I, I maybe uh, isolate a little towards the end as, as, as I think having m- maybe a, a, a slightly bigger impact on me personally, but this is by no means a countdown or a top list. It's just me sharing names that you may not have heard of and art and, 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 and bodies of work that maybe you should check out. Now, this next uh, name, you know, because we've done Murray Severin, Mary Jo Duffy, Ramona Fredone. This next name, uh, I'm going to tell you, is it just just blew me away when I first encountered her work in 1983. Uh, I've done a a dedicated podcast uh, where I've all on the world of ElfQuest, and and ElfQuest was created by Wendy Peeney, who we're going to get to. We're we're we're, we're going to she, she's on the way here. We're going to we're going to circle back to to Wendy Peeney, and uh, and and the amazing world of of ElfQuest. ElfQuest was a magazine sized uh, black and white comic self-published by Wendy and her husband and their, their publishing banner was called Warp Graphics. So I was already completely sold on ElfQuest and buying all of the Warp Graphics uh, products because they did portfolios, um, posters, you know, anything that Warp Graphics did, anything that I could support this vision by Wendy Peeney and Richard Peeney. Uh, and it's P-I-N-I is, uh, it, 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 it was just, it was part of my obsession. ElfQuest was as much of an obsession for me as the X-Men were during that time. And again, that ElfQuest, dedicated ElfQuest podcast that I did a couple of years back, which really, sh- you know, shine the light on, on, on the entire endeavor, uh, w- can really, you know, drive home the fact that I was a giant, enormous fan of this comic and these characters. But Warp Graphics one day shows up with a brand new comic book. They had done a preview in ElfQuest and they advertised it. Uh, but I showed up at my comic store and there is another magazine size, not a comic book, a magazine, a larger format from Warp Graphics called A Distant Soil. And it is the brainchild uh, and the story and art by one Colleen Duran. Now, my immediate, uh, my immediate attraction to this book was how beautiful all the characters looked. Colleen draws the most beautiful faces. Uh, she, she, she definitely uh, puts an emphasis on, on, on all of these incredibly beautiful people, men, women, child, okay? Um, even even her, her, her villains are, are ridiculously attractive. And I mean, they, they all have distinct cheekbones, chins, uh, amazing f- physique, and of course, the most fabulous hair, um, the most absolute fabulous hair. Colleen can, can draw 
flowing hair as, as it is on the cover of this distant soil, like few others. But I was immediately uh, drawn to this comic, which is basically a sci-fi space opera of, of Colleen's concept. And I thought the title, A Distant Soil, it just sounded so serious. A Distant Soil. It sounded like, you know, um, um, you know, Mark of the Beast or, you know, uh, uh, A Distant Thunder. I mean, it, it, it had like a biblical kind of mythological connotation to it, A Distant Soil. So I grabbed it. And then inside, it's like not just pencil and ink work. She, she, oh, okay. like each panel, each page is packed with intricate details. She was not just doing pencil and ink line work. She was then, she wasn't just doing pen and ink line work. She was then laying down, and this is in 1983. Um, basically, she would go over and use her different pencils, her HB, her 2B, her, all the different um, soft and darker leads. And maybe it was some charcoal thrown in there, but there's a ton of uh, pencil renderings on top of the inked renderings that made each and every panel and page just irresistible. And I would just look and look and look and stare. And I just, again, who is this Colleen Duran? Where is she performing this incredible, you know, producing this incredible artwork? Much like Wendy Peeney, uh, you know, before her with ElfQuest. And, and apparently, you know, Colleen had been on the convention circuit and sharing her concept for for what she wanted to do and and warp graphics took another flyer on her so i don't know if there was a more female led female championed label as warp graphics now i need to say here because i know in case colleen is listening because colleen i i consider her a fellow colleague a a a we are friendly if not great friends she has my utmost respect i know that there was difficulties in her relationship with warp graphics uh along the way and and that is uh her story to tell and, and, and other people's stories to tell in terms of what they didn't like about the business of working with Warp Graphic or, or any other stuff. My intent here, uh, because I, I, I'm really saying this, like in, in case someone's like, oh man, I, you know, I had issues with this or that. I'm literally reviewing this as the work that was received by me, you know, at the age of 13 and 14 and, and blown away and realizing that this label has the two superstars from this label are two amazing female talents. And, and again, from, from being just blown away by what was, what, what Wendy Peeney would write in the back of her, um, of her ElfQuest magazines, how she was producing this, you know, from her living room and pages all around. And that the, the table was, was, was overflowing with ink and brushes and, and, and to somebody who wants to get into comics and, and, and reading the detail of how these comic books are produced um, from someone's studio apartment, it gave me hope. It absolutely gave me hope. Like I can do this on my own. I can make comic books and maybe Marvel and DC won't be the place that I make comic books from. Maybe it'll be just comics that I publish that I draw and create in my own studio apartment, the way that Wendy Peeney is. And, and then later on here now, Colleen Duran. So uh, the, the, this sci-fi epic is, is very much, um, uh, uh, you know, for, for lack of a better term, alien beings, uh, visiting uh, modern day Earth, but it is it has got a absolute um, oh man the cover I'm looking right now I'm holding my original copies uh, Warp Graphics a Distant Soil number four these were these came out three times a year every 120 days and it was a buck fifty they were black and white magazines packed with uh, it, it feels like 
uh, 30-page stories. And, and again, the, the, the sprawling vision of Colleen Duran and, and, and this um, kind of alien mythical uh, you know, uh, existence that she, she, she introduces to, 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 to the modern day, to modern day earth, the, these, these mythological warriors, alien beings that are visiting us. Again, I want you to read it. I want you to discover it for yourself. Um, you know, Avalon, I mean, just all of this stuff is, is, is coming back to my, my memory as I flip through these, but Colleen Duran would, would not just be all about a distant soil. She would immediately in the eighties later on, go, go on to do all manner of different characters and titles for DC comics. She would, uh, she would do uh, Legion, Legion of Superheroes. She would do uh, Sandman, really seminal works alongside Neil Gaiman. She has worked nonstop since I first encountered this work in 1983. And uh, Colleen has, has, has dabbled back in a distant soil every, 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 every once in a while. Um, there were, there were later, later editions of this. But she most recently illustrated a biography of Stan Lee. And that came out, I want to say about 2016, 2017. It's a hardcover. You can, it, it's at every major bookseller. And again, her very, very pretty line work. I mean, again, the only other artist that I know that I thought everything was so pretty was Travis Charest, who he came uh, of age in, at DC Comics and then later really sh- sh- shined as bright as he ever could at Wildstorm. But every face, the lips, the hair, Travis Charest drew the prettiest people. It reminded me of how I reacted to Colleen Duran's pe- uh, people. Because look, you guys understand, I, I, I saw a nightline, you know, back in the 90s um, or, or, or one of those news magazines where they, where they showed how we are just more attracted to pretty stuff. And they put in a picture of an average woman and they put, put a picture of Cindy Crawford uh, across from a baby who was at the center of the room. And like every time the baby crawled to the picture of Cindy Crawford, and then they repeated this again and again and again. And basically we just from our base function are attracted to the more pretty items. And Colleen Duran draws the pretty people, the pretty figures, the pretty environments, um, the pretty stories. She's a great storyteller, but again, the, the, the pencil work on top of the liner was just like, I couldn't believe the density of the work. And it doesn't compete with itself. It doesn't take you out of the page. It's just, she does, um, she, she, she really burst on the scene with this very uh, realized style. That's so many of these talents that I'm sharing with you today had extremely realized styles, uh, very distinct. None of them were drawing to my mind from photographs. Again, this was the 70s and the 80s was about style, man. What was your signature style? How can I pick you off the rack, okay? And Colleen Duran had a very signature style with these incredibly beautiful characters that populated a distant soil and made her one of my fan favorites. I have followed her career ever since the Legion. I'm, I'm, she's done Marvel work too. I'm pretty sure she's done an X-Men uh, job or two, but Colleen is constantly busy, always booked. Uh, if, if you... um follow her on social media. She's always got another product. She is the sweetest. um, She's just the sweetest soul. Uh, I met her through um, Jim Valentino, who obviously many of you know, I I not only shared a studio with, we started a comic book company called Image Comics together. So uh, Colleen Duran is just a phenomenal talent. I have been enjoying her work since first encountering a distant soil at Warp Graphics back in 1983. And uh, if you can check out any of Colleen Duran's work, you will be the one who receives the reward. Now, 
as we march towards um, a, a few more of these names I wanted to share with you. Maybe the most, uh, I don't know, the most commercial, and, that's, and, and given all these names I've just said to you, think about what I'm saying when I'm telling you the most commercial. And, and there's a tie back to Ramona Fredone, the, the Super Friends artist here. A lot of these, a lot of these connections, it's fun to make them. Uh, how, how so many of these talents are are, are connected, but uh, the the <clears throat> work of June Brigman. Would you would you know who June Brigman was? Well, she burst on the scene for those of us in the mid eighties, uh, like around nineteen eighty four. She was the penciler of Power Pack. And Power Pack was an all-new comic book that Marvel Marvel Comics was launching with all-new, four brand-new kids, a family, uh, that got their powers from an alien source, and they were called Power Pack. And one thing that you will find if you get in a room with artists, and I don't don't care who those artists are, I don't care if it's Jack Kirby and John Buscema and Neil Adams, you know, in the back room, you know, behind a convention center, you know, in the green room talking about art, or if it's Jim Lee and Todd McFarlane and Rob Life and Eric Larson or today's stars they're all going to share one subject and i'm telling you right now they're all going to tell you how hard it is to draw kids i have literally seen each and every one of us laugh at like i've heard like my my fellow you know image brethren like a jim lee and a todd mcfarland oh it's so difficult to draw kids myself oh man it's really difficult to draw kids uh everybody thinks it's more difficult to draw kids because kids by and by and large you know have the larger heads and smaller bodies and it's not exactly you know what we aspire to draw we want the tall you know six foot six glamorous uh you know male physique or the female physique or monsters but kids and june brigman burst on the scene and these kids who populated power pack and, and their family but these kids in action and the aliens june brigman was uh so ridiculously commercial. She had a style that invoked one of the most popular artists of the age, a gentleman named Paul Smith, who burst onto the X-Men, uh, burst on the comic scene via X-Men, did one year on X-Men and then left. He was an animator. He had worked with Ralph Bashi and, and, and had worked on um, Fire and Ice and, and Lord of the Rings, two of the big animated um, movies in the late 70s, early 80s. And Ralph Bakshi is, you know, considered one of the icons of animation. And Paul Smith worked alongside of him as a character designer and a storyboard artist. And then he brought those sensibilities to comic books. And it was, again, as I was saying with Ramona Fredone, but a slightly different gear, this animated style, tremendous emphasis on movement and camera angles that we didn't normally see in comic books. He really pushed the boundaries. Well, the first thing I did when I saw June Brigman's work was I thought, it's another like animator who has become a comic book illustrator like Paul Smith. June Brigman got top anchors, Bob Wyacek, uh, Terry Austin. The work was so ridiculously accomplished and commercial. She fit in along the way a couple X-Men issues, specifically a Nightcrawler-centric uh, issue that, that she illustrated that only like drove home how much fans would have loved her doing an entire run on the X-Men. She was just an incredibly, again, beautiful people, um, what is it about all these female artists? They just draw much prettier uh, men and women than, than than men by and large do, and that is not a bias. That is an observation with the the, the two eyes that, that that are that are in the sockets of my head. Uh, June Brigman, great figure work, strong figure work, gr- but again, great motion, great movement. She would then go on to do Alpha Flight and do some killer issues of Alpha Flight, which was John Burns' Canadian Super Team, 
And again, uh, she would get tremendous inkers. I think people just loved working over her. Uh, I have never met June Brigman. I have never, in my in my memory, been in her presence at a convention or at at a at a you know function at all. But I bought everything June Brigman ever drew. And I mean, again, she she got off to such a huge and, and tremendous start at, at Marvel Comics. And Power Pack was like a surprise hit. Again, five brand new kids that you've never heard of, uh, written by Louise Simonson, and uh, just completely, completely. Uh, just blew me and, and blew most of fandom away. Now here's here's the here's the hook. Okay, along the way she did a Supergirl miniseries uh, for um, for DC Comics, but the way she that she ties back into Ramona Fredone. Ramona, as she mentioned in her forward with the Super Friends that I, I read to you just a little while ago, she talks about how she uh, got out of comics and did a comic strip called Brenda Star. Brenda Star is like a uh, long running female basically detective strip that was in it that, 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 that appeared in the daily comic book strips well when ramona stood down and left the brenda star syndicated newspaper comic strip june brigman took over she literally followed ramona Fredone. so that these two um female powerhouses basically stepped in on one of the most fam- famous female cartoon icons brenda star and they followed each other which i think is really cool so June Brigman uh, also worked in some some Star Wars stories along the way, but the bottom line is uh, uh, <clears throat> that the work that she did in the '80s for Marvel, the Power Pack series, and then those X Men jobs and those Alpha Flight jobs and the Supergirls. I mean, she, she's a fantastic comic book illustrator, and and uh, I would have loved to have seen more work from her over the years, but. June Brigman, great, very, very distinct name, June Brigman, uh, shot out like a rocket. Perhaps one of the most commercial of all the illustrators that I've shared with you today. Uh, and, and, and got, again, really choice, top seated assignments that, that, that would put her front and center with us. Power Pack got a big launch. It was a big advertised, you know, uh, book for Marvel posters, giant store posters, you know, lots of ads inside the other comics promoting it. And uh, she's just fantastic talent. And, and again, with Power Pack, you had both Louise Simonson and June Brigman. So again, two, you know, female, you know, hand in hand, giving this tremendous adventure. So uh, June Brigman, again, tremendous work. Seek it out. Um, everything she did was extremely, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, slick, commercial, uh, and, and, and appealing in, 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 as much as anything that, in, in, for my money, that Art Adams has ever done. I mean, she's that slick and commercial i just i really totally dig her work um as we wind down i'm going to tell you a story about a talent you've probably not heard of which bums me out slightly because she's so ridiculously gifted and i was standing right beside her when she got hired into comic books so i was at a uh, 1983 late 1983 uh la comic convention and I've shared with you guys here, uh, we, had, we had great guests all the time at any of the local L.A. comic conventions, whether they were at the Disneyland Hotel in Anaheim in Orange County or up at the Biltmore Hotel or one of the, lo- the L.A. hotels that was hosting them. And this particular comic convention had uh, Chris Claremont add, as, as the guest. We, Southern California was a big draw for the talent. George Perez would tell me, I love coming out here and seeing the sunny weather because it's always raining. 
and he would tell me, I love, I love Los Angeles. I love LA. So he would come out, uh, Art Adams, John Byrne, Frank Miller, John Amita Jr., Jim Shooter, Chris Claremont, multiple times, uh, Dave Cockrum. We got choice guests who wanted to be part of the Southern California comic scene. Well, so Chris, this was maybe one of the second or third times that I had seen Chris at one of the comic conventions. And when you entered the comic book hall, they had his table front and center. So even before you got to the retailers, I mean, it was Chris Claremont guest of honor right there. And as you would imagine in that day when the X-Men was the top selling book, Chris has got a lot of people lingering around his table. Now, I'll tell you the difference between then and now is there weren't a lot of single file lines. There wasn't like a 15, 20, much less hundreds of people lined up as there are now to see uh, a singular talent because signing of the comic books was an option, but it wasn't like as collectible a pursuit as as it is today. So people would mingle around a table looking to get their their questions in. And Chris, you know, uh, loves to talk and wanted to talk. So he was always just very available. Well, um, one, at one point, uh, this young, uh, she looked like her, her either late teens or early twenties. Um, this young woman, uh, was, came to the center of the table. I was standing just to the left. Chris is in his, you know, safari jacket that he liked to wear out in, in all of his public appearance. And he had his, you know, great head of hair and his beard. Um, and he, and he would talk very, you know, very pronounced very loud because Chris was having a good time and, and, and wanted us to have a good time along with him. And uh, this young woman then asks if, if, if Chris would look at her work and she has a portfolio and he says, sure, let me, let me, let me check it out. She lays that portfolio out in front of him. And I see this incredibly accomplished work. The thing that really stood out to me was how dark, dark, dark the pencil line was. A lot of the times you don't get, I mean, it was like if she had penciled any darker, it would have torn through the page, but the really dark lead, dark lines, but everyone was very angular, very appealing. Uh, the work and the faces and the figures were very attractive, but everyone was very angular uh, in a way that you would associate with maybe kind of the angular work of, of Bill Sienkiewicz or uh, Walt Simonson, two artists who I, who I think are much more uh, angular in their lines and their presentation of figures. And it was incredibly impressive. And it, it had the, you know, uh, very distinct, you know, characters running through these pages, and I, I remember distinctly that one of them was Storm. There were there were some X ladies in there, and and if if in case she had geared it, knowing that the X Men writer would um, be looking at this, kudos to her. Her name was Cynthia Martin, and on the spot, on the spot, Chris just kept flipping back and forth. He could not believe how amazing Cynthia's work was, and said, "I will." get you work. I guarantee you, I can get you work at Marvel Comics. He basically, because he's Chris Claremont, he is the big dog. He is the powerhouse. He said, I will, you should be working in comics and you're going to be working in comics and I'm going to make it happen. And she was overjoyed and excited and 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 uh, broke out of her more, I'd, I'd say, reserved shell at that moment uh, and, and was extremely, you know, ecstatic at this abundance of confidence that was shown to her work. Now, what happened is, because I would then, going home as a fan, you know, still in high school, going, wow, I saw this, this young woman, Cynthia Martin, just got, just got a, a vote of extreme confidence from Chris Claremont. I can't wait to see what she ends up working on. Well, to my knowledge, as I 
perused the comics and waited for her to make her debut. Uh, she eventually uh, came to my notice. And if there's another comic that debuted prior to that, I missed it. But she came to prominence doing Star Wars with Mary Jo Duffy. A- at the end of the, the publication cycle that Marvel had with Star Wars, I think the book never got more interesting. I think it never got more interesting than the end. But let me tell you something. These Cynthia Martin stories, again, just a phenomenal storyteller, like a phenomenal like storyboard artist. And I, I am sitting here and I am marveling at the work of, uh, of, of the, the, there was a great dedicated Ewok issue. But we're talking like the, the last run of Star Wars, where Star Wars was no longer maybe a commercial powerhouse along the lines as it was when it first launched. But um, I am looking at her work in, in issues 94, 95, 96, um, and I am telling you, th- this, this battle that, sh- that, that she has, Luke Skywalker um, engages with, with this um, very, very villainous character. The, the villain's name, this female villain, kind of a, in, 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 in cybernetic armor, cybernetic, uh, it, 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 she has like a cybernetic body. But then, like uh, her, her her face is is wrapped with cloth. Um, her name is Lumia, I believe that's how you how you pronounce it, Lumia. And 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 she had this kind of electric whip, uh, basically like a lightsaber whip. And she and Luke Skywalker have been kind of coming coming towards this confrontation. And she she I'll tell you right now, her 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 whip is extremely stylized along the along the lines of the of the creativity that I saw in Cynthia Martin's work when she was hired there on the spot by Chris Claremont. And this battle that she has with, um, with, with, with Luke Skywalker uh, is so extremely well choreographed, um, action-packed, uh, just like moment by moment, very cinematic. She has a very cinematic approach to storytelling. And again, her, her characters are lean. They're really angular. I'll, I'll be honest. Her style looks like the style of the Boba Fett cartoon from the, the the Star Wars Holiday Special, and and I can see why that had probably immediate appeal. But her Luke Skywalker, um, Lumia, uh, she's inked by by different different um, talents like Bob Wyacek, and she's inked by uh, <clears throat> Steve Lealoa. I mean, some really accomplished guys were 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 were, were tasked with again, assuming this is some of her first work. Uh, Cynthia Martin, her Star Wars stuff literally blew me away. And I was like, when are we going to get her onto like m- more, you know, more of the Marvel universe? Because I was so taken and I can't believe that I stood there and I watched her get hired. And now she is drawing these kick-ass Star Wars books with great fights. Again, because what do you want? You want great confrontations, great fights, great lightsaber duels when you're in the Star Wars universe. And she and Mary Joe Duffy, Joe Duffy from earlier in this very podcast are working together to give you these incredible, incredible Star Wars. Fo- following these incredible, following these incredible Star Wars stories, she went on to do issues of Web of Spider-Man, Marvel Comics Presents. She did a single issue of Amazing Spider-Man number 295, Midnight Sun, Spectacular Spider-Man. She did issues of Wonder Woman, War of the Gods, Blue Beetle. Uh, she, she, she really, um, you know, had a robust, uh, career at, at all manner of different um comic book publishers she did stuff for eclipse comics for ac comics but interestingly enough when you um if you were to google cynthia martin 
It says, Cynthia Martin is a comic book artist best known for her work on the Marvel comic Star Wars title during its waning years in the mid-80s. Here's the most important part. She was one of the few women working in mainstream American comics during the time. Each and every one of these names that I'm sharing with you today were, were, were coming at a time where there was not a, a huge proliferation of female talent. And so each one of these uh, women who kick ass, who broke through, who contributed, who, who, who did incredible, uh, you know, produced incredible storytelling, incredible illustrations, and who really connected with readers like myself and, 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 and inspired me. Um, it, it was, it was more difficult. It was a boys club. It was more of a boys club than it, maybe at any other time in, in, in the, in, in, you know, the comic book publishing history. So again, just being there for the birth of Cynthia Martin's career, having her get that, you know, absolute, uh, you know, approval from Chris, Chris Claremont and then, and then seeing her actually emerge and become this, this talent. And again, those late Star Wars stories. This, these are gems that people, they had abandoned the book. Star Wars was no longer, I mean, this is post Return of the Jedi. So the Star Wars mania had, 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 had left, but these last, basically this last year on the title, she did so much interesting and amazing work. And if you haven't, it's, it's reprinted in all the different volumes. There's omnibuses, there's trade paperbacks, Dark Horse reprinted this stuff. Marvel, of course, printed it originally and then reprinted it. You should check out the work of Cynthia Martin or on any of those other issues that I shared. She is a dynamite talent. And, and I, I just love the flow of her figures and the, cinem, the cinematic storytelling that she brings. I mentioned Wendy Peeney a minute ago, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to circle back because ElfQuest to me is the singular most um, impressive uh, just world built by a female talent in the history of, of my enjoying and being entertained and being a fan of comic books. Because not only does she write and draw ElfQuest and create these incredible characters like cutter bear claw all these all these different incredible cast of characters and ogres and in this very lush world that to me it is a great unadapted work i know people have danced with it i don't know where the rights are but if you could just film those panels audiences would come ElfQuest is a rich rich world with rich characters rich visuals again distinct style wendy peeney landed in the comic book world in our consciousness with a very distinct style each one of these women has an incredibly distinct style from the angular um, features and, and figures of Cynthia Martin to the uh, very robust fantasy world and, 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 and uh, the big eyes, the, 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 the very distinct look of everybody in ElfQuest. And uh, I just, Wendy Peeney knocked down so many doors and uh, ElfQuest has, I would say, greater than a cult following. People really thought ElfQuest was going to be the next big thing, and it still could be. You know, it took Stanley, you know, good God, 70 plus years to, to walk down the red carpet to a legit Spider-Man cinematic, you know, experience. These things may happen later in life. The work, the body of work exists. ElfQuest has been through many incarnations. There's a giant art of art edition book of the early ElfQuest editions that Dark Horse produced. You can see um, the the incredible artistry that Wendy Peeney put forward put put forth into each and every line, and the fact that I remember she she talked about openly that, that she worked in brush, and I was like, I can't believe someone gets these controlled lines, these beautiful lush lines out of a brush, because that technique is so much uh, more disciplined. A brush is a much more disciplined uh, approach, requires more hand eye line 
coordination and, and the pressing of the brush and the pressure you put on the brush is much more consequential than when you put it on a nib. And the fact that people like Wendy are so great with brush work. I mean, again, I, if, if you can sense that I'm super impressed, I am. I'm super impressed. The, the warp graphic, ElfQuest, the bridge that it built, the fact that it's the first time that I encountered Colleen Duran's work, who I followed her the rest of her career. If not for warp graphics, maybe I don't see a distant soil and I don't encounter Colleen Duran when I, when I do and make that connection with her art and follow her. So again, I've done an entire dedicated episode of, 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 uh, of uh, Rob's observations on ElfQuest, and I encourage you to seek that out. That's an entire episode uh, dedicated to to my sense of wonder and my interaction with that world. So Wendy Peeney caps off uh, as as for me one of the most important women who kick ass in comics, and it was just a pleasure discussing all of them today. And if you ask, and if you wonder, you know, along the lines, uh, say Liefeld, what, what about all the female artists that you you employed at? Uh, at Extreme Studios, I would absolutely love to share their names with you. Uh, going through issues of Brigade and Bloodstrike and Profit and, and all manner of different, uh, even Glory itself, uh, comic books that we produced, uh, we employed so many female artists and they all, when they walked in the door, wanted to paint and color. And several of them, like Elizabeth Lewis, uh, became our standout uh, colorist in the Extreme Studios color department. I made a hard pitch to Jeff Smith to, uh, you know, reprint Bone uh, as single issues and single comic book issues with with new colored covers. And I pitched Elizabeth Lewis. I said, I think she matches up the best with your work. She'll do the best work for you. And she did. And she followed him outside of Extreme and kept working with Jeff Smith on his Bone work. Elizabeth Lewis was a fantastic, a superstar in the in the in the uh, in the world of of colored art and, and painted art. Um, you would see a woman named Gloria Vasquez. She colored giant hundreds of pages for Extreme Studios across Bloodstrike, Brigade, Profit, Glory. Uh, Laura Rode, now Laura Penton, colored new men, colored all manner of, uh, uh, again, Brigade, Bloodstrike. We had so many different titles. Uh, we had t- uh, just Tanya Hori, again, another, along with Elizabeth Lewis, giant uh, color, color, you know, uh, color, computer color, artist, painter, renderer. Uh, she, 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 for years, I only wanted her to color my work in the late nineties. And then eventually she had, she became so in demand that she, she, she did dedicated amounts of work for, for DC comics and DC comics only coloring Ed McGinnis on Superman, but she got her start here at extreme studios. We had, uh, also, you know, Mary Jo Duffy was writing our top selling book. We, um, my, 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 my sister was was a key uh, member of the management at Extreme Studios. We were, we had women um, filling out all manner of different roles at our studio. It just happened to be when they'd show up and they would submit their portfolio, so many of them wanted to color. Gloria Vasquez and the aforementioned Laura Road uh, would, would, would hand color color guides back when we had that process. Now the computer colorist is does his guides while he's coloring. It's a different process. We had a, we had a more controlled multi-stepped, multi-tiered process where the painted color, the 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 watercolors and the renderings on an actual uh Bristol, you know, print out of the line art would be then the application, the 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 tool that the color, computer colors would look at and 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 make sure that those colors translated via the computer color. Clyde e. Nee had an entire color department. In color was her color department 
and she colored all manner of books. And she said something really generous and and uh, and and very very kind on on one of the social media platforms about her time with us. She did, I mean, literally supreme again. Bloodstrike Brigade, all of these titles. Clydeen Nee was our um, just out. We, we we outsourced so much of the actual computer coloring to her and her firm. So we have had great long standing. Uh, uh, relations with all manner of different uh, talent during during over the course of uh, of Extreme Studios and its publishing its it, its publishing existence. Of course, I worked alongside uh, Barbara Kiesel when she was married. Bar- Barbara Randall when she was Barbara Kiesel when she was married to Carl Kiesel, and we did Hawk and Devon broke through with that book, and she believed in me. She cheered me on. She uh, championed the fact that 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 I. Because I was up against it with the way that Dove was being depicted and the way they really basically just wanted to make it the the the, the old Dove, the male Dove with with breasts. They didn't want to do any um, different, you know, uh, uh, stylistic flares with her costume, her hair, things I just kept railing against. And, and and again, when you see Minka Kelly portraying Don Granger in the Titans, that is the fulfillment of what I designed, and not the they wanted the same. Skull cap costume with just a women's physique, and I was like, "This is not what we need." Barbara um, absolutely cheered me on, and 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 it was an honor to have worked with her. Louise Simonson and I literally, uh, you know, helped rejuvenate. Uh, she she was at the helm of New Mutants when I joined, and 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 then she was exiting after I got the full writing chores. But certainly, um, I have had tremendous interactions and respect and working with all manner of amazing women who kick ass in comics. I hope you enjoyed all of the different women who kick ass in comics that I shared with you today. Many of them I'm sure you are already fans of, but if you heard their names for the first time, Cynthia Martin, if you heard Ramona Fredone, if you heard Colleen Duran, if you heard Wendy Peeney, if you heard Marie Severin, um, any of, and, and, and there are so many names that I didn't get to. Okay. Um, if June Brigman, holy crap, if you're not familiar with June Brigman's work, seek her out. You will not regret it. This was a fantastic time. I hope and I hope I was I was able to either rekindle a connection you had to that work or maybe expose it to you for the first time for women who kick ass in comics. As as many of you are aware, at the end of each and every episode of Raw Observations, I read the comments and and the messages that you've sent to us on the platforms. They they are reviews that you have put forth. And so many of you are always so generous. I can't believe how generous given us five stars, these amazing reviews. We love to read your reviews and we need them. We need you to give us positive feedback. It helps us stand out on all the different platforms, whether it's Spotify, Apple, wherever you're listening to us. And I am so excited to be able to bring to you yet another, uh, form of, uh, a review that, 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 that gives us five stars from, from our good friend at Charlton hero. He um, wanted to let me know that there were three notes of podcast praise. He says, uh, excellent work on the Rob Observation episodes. I love that you use old magazine interviews. Uh, those magazines are material that have mostly been cut, co- that have not been covered in audio form. I love when you bring the receipts, Rob. And uh, I just thought you could use this affirmation today. That is all. Have a great day. Thank you, Charlton Hero, for your very um, friendly review, and thank you for enjoying the show. I, I I try as much as I can 
to bring whatever seats I can. Maybe it's a forward and an omnibus that you're not exposed to. Maybe it's an old interview. Maybe it's a fax I sent, a memo. I love sharing them with you. You guys are so much fun and so much. Uh, it's uh, it's just such a blast. And I, I love that you guys are enjoying the show. Keep them coming. I'll keep reading them at the end of each and every show. Thank you for listening to Rob's Observations. Right now, the 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 question that you guys asked me the most is being answered in the form of, yes, I am going to do a CGC in-house private signing. You need to get your books in. I think it goes through July. Now, you, like Youngblood, I'm sorry, Deadpool Batterblood. Deadpool Batterblood is my new launch that comes out in a few weeks. Now, you can get those and send those in and you're going to want to. You're going to want to send those in. So so that window is still going to be available. But if you've got some of your key books, the New Mutants, the X-Force, the Captain America's, the Avengers, the Blood Strikes, the Brigades, the Snake Eyes, the uh, the Young Bloods, any of the stuff that you want that you want signed with a graded witness that will get what we call slabbed. This is a huge deal nowadays. Nobody does it bigger, better than CGC. You're going to want to go to the CGC website, look up Rob Liefeld, go to the news where they have the Rob Liefeld CGC in-house private signing and, and follow their prompts, fill out their forms, follow the directions and get those books to me. I will be going there at the end of the summer to sign your books and I cannot wait to sign all your comics. I am so excited. So you guys, this is it. You've been asking me for years. How do I get my books to you? Last night on my, my, my live stream, people were asking me, hey, how do I get my book to you? Will you get it to us right now through the CGC option? Get that CGC option. Get those books in. And I look forward to signing them later this um, later this summer. We'll, we'll keep giving you updates as to how um, all of the different submissions are going. I'm so excited to see what you send me. Uh, speaking of live streams and whatnot, whatnot is an app, the number one collectible app. You should download it right now. If you want trading cards, if you want playing cards, Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, uh, if, 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 if you've got comic books from, from the modern age, the bronze age, uh, variants, you want toys, Funko Pops, uh, uh, sports, memorabilia, sports, jerseys, kicks, all that stuff is available. There's a seller for everything on whatnot. It is a great site. I do live streams twice a week. Right now we're on a Wednesday, Friday cycle and I love to see you. I am, uh, generally it's the end of the day. I'm, completely blitzed and and, and, and and exhausted and you never know what's going to come out of my mouth. People say it's like an extension of this podcast. It's definitely not as nice as this podcast, but check me out on whatnot. And we have exclusives. I have a Deadpool. Uh, we have Deadpool Batter Blood exclusives coming up in the next few weeks. But right now we have a Deadpool New Mutants whatnot exclusive. We have a Brigade whatnot exclusive. We have a Spider-Man whatnot exclusive. Check it out. Jump on board. Uh, and and I, I look forward to seeing you. They generally run a few hours. I would love to. We have, uh, again, custom and signed uh, Funko Pops, toys, comics, and original art. Find out what a splatter signature is, what a drop shadow chisel. Yep, you'll, you'll find out what all those are when you join me. Follow me, Rob Liefeld. Follow me, Rob Liefeld, at whatnot. And I look forward to seeing you on one of our live streams. On social media, on Twitter, you can follow me, at Robert Liefeld, the full name. R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D. That is me. I would love to talk to you. Robert Liefeld. That's it. The full name spelled no underscore nothing. Just R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D. Oh my gosh. Is that a, is that a mouthful? Ro- Robert Liefeld is who I am at Twitter. I love reading your DMs, your messages, your interactions with me. Please seek me out. Look, look forward to hearing from you over on Twitter, on Instagram. I am at Rob Liefeld. I have one of those blue checks that tells you I am the real deal over on Instagram. I look forward to seeing you. I put 
pictures of my life, what I'm eating, where I'm going, what I'm doing, what I'm what I'm illustrating, uh, comic books that come in, remarks, all sorts of stuff. It's it's uh, I I know I keep saying it, but it's fun because my 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 older kids think my account is cringe. I, I'm trying to make it less cringe worthy. Join me in that pursuit over on Instagram. I am at Rob Liefeld. I look forward to seeing you. I love reading your comments, your messages, your DMs. I love interacting with you guys on all of these different platforms. On Facebook, Facebook, I have a group. It's not a page, it's a group. It's called Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. So many of the conversations that we have here continue there. We have a great group of people. There's art contests, people sharing comic books, uh, drawings, art, uh, memories, history, We would love to see you over on Facebook at my Rob Liefeld Marvel Extreme and Beyond group. Either myself or a gentleman named Terry Sala, S-A-L-A, will click you through. That's how you know you are at the right group. Rob Liefeld Marvel Extreme and Beyond. I look forward to seeing you over there. I think that all about covers all of the different information that I I share with you at the end of each and every episode. I just want to thank you so much for listening and I want to thank you. And, and tell you that I am rooting for you. I am pulling for you. I want you to do well. I want your spiritual, your emotional, your physical, and your mental uh, conditions to be at the best, in the best possible uh, way that they can be, the, to be as strong as they can possibly be. My recommendation, I do it all the time, t- take a break. I plop down to one of my giant beanbags with a comic book, with a graphic novel, uh, or in front of the, I use that beanbag and I plop it down in front of my TV and I watch a cool show, a streaming show, uh, a movie that I love. I generally surround it with some great food. My kids know I love food. That, that man, I used to I used to hunt food trucks with the best of them. I was quite the foodie uh, at the at, at you know the last fifteen years. But things have slowed, and trucks turned into brick and mortar stores. And why am I even telling you this? Because I love food. I love gourmet anything: tacos, pizza, hamburgers, uh, bratwursts, and 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 that 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 when you combine that with 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 having a comic book or a graphic novel or a great movie. There's nothing better, and you will your your that 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 hit that, that will be restore restorative. Okay, you'll get that energy, you'll you'll get that um that inspiration because art inspires us, and food tastes damn good. Okay, put those two things together. Get well soon. I am giving you the fist bump of affirmation through through this microphone. I am rooting for you. I hope that you are doing spectacular. Please swing back around and find me because I'm going to be here. I'm going to be here. I'm waiting for you. We will most definitely, absolutely, and inevitably talk again real soon.